Beyond NI. Uh, this week's episode is a good recap of uh, the week's news. Indeed, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's news week. That's what we are now. Well, yeah. next week we might change it up. We'll see. Yeah, should we talk about uh, the plan for the next few podcasts? Just because. Yeah. I feel like we're constantly changing the format on this, but I think it's very good because it's always free flowing and you're yeah. getting something different. I mean, there's a consistent idea to it at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We got like a through line. I just realised I didn't say the catchphrase this week, but I guess we'll just have to leave it. Oh, nice. We'll have to tease people. Yeah. No. But we'll yeah. get it every week. <laughs> um, next week, we're this podcast originally started as reviewing parties. Yeah. Um, and it's been about a year since we recorded those and quite a lot has changed throughout most of the, uh, of the political landscape in Northern Ireland. And yeah. How the parties have transitioned, some more than others. And Dramatic year for some like. Yeah, um, so we think it would be good for the next couple of weeks that we're going to be reviewing how they've done in the past year, especially with an election coming up. Yeah. Um, we think it'd be really interesting. Uh, so we're still going to be talking about like news as well, but yeah. it'll be like part of it's going to be. Yeah, I think we'll do it like the first half is going to be yeah. party coverage of the party we're covering that week, and then the second is going to be, um, just. News catch yeah. up, so it it should be should be should be a good should wee series be. for us. Yeah, and we all hope you enjoy. Um, we're going to be covering. I think we're going to try to cover all the really small parties as well. I like to think so. This yeah. time, I think we missed out. Well, I think we had one podcast we covered. Did we even have one podcast we covered the small parties last time? I think we rounded them all up, but yeah. maybe hopefully we'll give a bit more detail into some of them because. Yeah. If we're going by samples, some of the smaller ones might not be so small yeah, anymore. I mean, some of them might actually be set fairly significant at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what you uh, got forward, or you're going to be hearing. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, let's, let's get into the news this week. Um, we'll start off with probably the biggest is uh, the executive announcing that one metre social distancing rules when it comes to indoor concerts and some... Elements, not hospitality, but yeah, some cinemas and all. I think as well get like less restrictions. Yeah, I can't remember other places. The the restaurants would so restaurants do not. They still they still have to yeah have social distancing and but retail and retail like indoor concerts are, are going to yeah. be. Um, it's an interesting one. Um, it feels like a somewhat strange choice. Yeah, uh, am I? Well, what do you do? You think it's strange? Do you think it's not strange? Do you think this is right? I think it's a bit strange when our COVID rates are still so high. Yeah. But I, like I, I was just recently in Scotland. But the hospi- hospitalizations I don't think are that bad though. They're still saying the NHS is under strain and they're having to call people in. So I, I, I do yeah. find it fascinating. I wonder if, um, God forbid, the executive are just hedging their bets and it's just the unvaccinated are mostly getting it. Yeah. And like well, I think that that is pretty much what's happening. Yeah, and if you can, you can't force people to get the vaccine. No. And that others. You know, continue being locked down for those that yeah. don't, don't don't want to get the vaccine. I think we are at a stage where most countries consider it not about how high your COVID rate is; it's more so about how your health system is dealing with it. Yeah, and that's where restrictions are going now, as opposed to general infection rate. Since now we have the vaccine, yeah, it just makes it just makes more sense they could be moving it that way. I guess. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's it, you know. 
some some will say this is long overdue, especially when you look at uh, Scotland, yeah, England, uh, which are a lot more open than us right now. I was just in Scotland there this weekend, and uh, you would not think COVID's really a thing there, yeah. which is kind of crazy. But unsurprisingly, it wasn't really a thing whenever I was in Crete. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> party Big boy. Surprise there. <laughs> But um, actually sticking with that uh, Scotland comparison, yeah. uh, the SDLP Infrastructure Minister, Nicola, Manel, Nicola Mallon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she, she and her SDLP colleagues were quite vocal on the idea of bringing in vaccine passports yeah. here, you know, so that you can go into places and uh, show that you are double, double vaccinated. Yeah. But the executive said no, and there was quite some quite stern words uh, in plenary today, yeah, uh, against Robin Swan, asking him why, why, why are we not having these? Uh, yeah, what's your opinion on that? And do you think do you think the executive is right not to bring in COVID passports uh, or vaccine a, passports as a mandatory option? Yeah, it? as a, a mandatory enforcement. Um, I think I think it's hard to say whether they're right or wrong to do so because I think we're all in those terms still slightly guessing in in mm. that regard. I think. The idea of a mandatory vaccine passport is still like a relatively new idea. New York's only just, you know, kind of put it through. I think it's one of the kind of big, really big places mm. that's like backing it. I know Europe, I think, is... Well, no, the South, and they have like kind of a thing with the vaccine passport. Yeah, you have, to, you have to show that you were double jabbed against yeah. uh, hospitality down south. And I think there was questions around how much that was effective um, in actually reducing it. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if I... If I would say it's like, you know, the worst thing to ever happen is to not have it be implemented. But at the same time, it makes a fair bit of sense making it something that you can leave up to businesses. Yeah. I would say, I would say that's how I would, how at this point I'd be there more like, more willing to like see it go through is if it becomes like more of just like a business decision where like businesses are allowed to have it if they want it. Yeah, I guess because that's the way they're going to be doing it for um, for testing, is it not? Yeah, you have to I show so. proof of yeah. you know PCR test or whatever if you're allowed into. Oh, the PCR test or yeah, the vac- the COVID vaccine passport. Yeah, or the what even the smaller test that you have to take. Um, lateral flow. Lateral flow. Yes, yeah. apologies. Which is pretty un- inaccurate as far, as far as I understand. In terms of... Oh, well, you've had personal experience of yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's it's a it's a funny. I mean, it's just difficult to, like, actually... Unless you're, like, a proper, you know, medical professional to, to give your, yeah. your... A very, like, accurate take on how it should be. Outside of just being, like, how... Instead of, like, thinking about more so how you would just, like, kind of like it to be. Yeah. But it's... You know, it's interesting that I... You know, you have both the DUP and Sinn Féin, according to the SDLP. Yeah. Saying that they, they didn't want the, the past... The passport scheme that they proposed, yeah, um, and it's I find that even more interesting because there's quite a clear ideological divide between Sinn Fein and the DUP when it comes to um, easing of restrictions. Like yeah. I know Michelle O'Neill was quite public in the press last week about, you know, we're going to take our time about easing restrictions as we continue to go and continue to look at the the scientific data that's pre- uh, presented yeah. in front of the executive, while. You have the likes of Gordon Lyons and, uh, you know, First Minister Paul Given say, "Well, I want them all gone by the end of this month," which is yeah, you know, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's quite a, 
quite a contradiction to then agree on this, to then agree on one issue. Yeah. And you would think, obviously, I, I wonder if for Sinn Féin, that maybe this is showing a lack of our knowledge, the reason for them disagreeing is maybe due to do a contentious issue in the South and they want to present it on a more... But the South's called their freedom down now as well. Yeah, so I, I don't even know then really what... Again, this could this is just our maybe lack of knowledge in this protected. Well, I think they're probably right, just. I think they're, they're probably just taking the opinion that it's probably just better to be a bit more um, cautious with it. I would assume. Hmm. What do you mean by cautious? Cautious how? Like cautious and you know, the restrictions are viewed as like a safety net, possibly, hmm. and that those that taking away those restrictions too quickly then becomes more difficult to put them back in at this stage, possibly. Maybe. Or if you keep them now and let them go slower, there's like maybe more of a chance that they'll like actually have more of an effect as opposed to taking them taking them all away and then bringing them back like a month down the line where everyone's there like, well, I don't want to listen to this anymore. I had a month of normal life. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. don't want to go back to yeah. that. <laughs> like, true, true. Yeah. But you no, know, it's interesting seeing some, or we're seeing clear, clearer ideological differences and also some confusion yeah as well but which you know confusion of the executive is a, a new a new idea yeah um look we'll move on to slightly better news depending if you're not a yeah if, if, if you don't love gambling and <laughs> <laughs> um, so gambling amendment uh you know the original 1985 order uh, brought forward by department for communities and uh minister deirdre hargy got past the second stage Support from all the parties across the chamber. Oh yeah, um, you love it when everybody gets together <laughs> yeah. on an issue. Um, so lovely to see. And we also had gambling with lives. Who were uh, English firm come over to, uh, over to Stormont today to host a session about bringing educational awareness programs to schools about gambling. Yeah, and we've talked about this issue at large before about how children are more than ever exposed to online gambling, whether that be free football. But mostly through video games. Uh, not even if gambling itself is presented as like blackjack within games, but just the methodology and the meta of gambling is introduced very early on with the children. So it's good to see this bill trying to update the gambling laws in Northern Ireland and trying to, you know, rein in on the likes of fixed odd betting terminals where bookies control the odds and you can gamble excess of amounts of money in yeah. a matter of minutes like you could clear out your month's earnings in a matter of 10 minutes max on those machines so to see to see these legislations coming through is or progressing even as a committee stage it's fantastic yeah is there any surprise that it got around the board support was there any kind of no who's believe it i i can't say publicly but i know one or two mlas are sort of being backed by um not being back, but they're, you know, they were approached pro, by a gambling firm or two and they were concerned about what it was going to do for their business, which oh, really? I think, you know, fair enough, they have their own interests and they have to find politicians that would agree with them. But uh, no, look, all the parties voted in favour of this. So, yeah. you know, it's good to see. Um, definitely something I, on a personal level, I support. So yeah. yeah, it's good to see it get through and actually see some decent legislation coming through the assembly, and hope hopefully we'll see it get through this mandate. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, climate change bill. This one is the 
Department for Agricultural, Environment and Rural Affairs, brought forth by Evelyn Poots. Yep. Just to be clear, there is currently two climate change bills going through the Assembly. One is being brought forth by Claire Bailey of the Greens, uh, South Belfast MLA, uh, and then one by uh, Evelyn Poots. Yep. Main differences between them is that Edwin's is Edwin's bill is less strict on farmers. And it believes that the 2050 net zero is more attainable yeah. than Claire's 2045 net zero proposal. Um, you're thinking five years, what difference does it make? Uh, but um, I mean, we've talked about it before. We've talked about it before, but in a race to save the world every year, kind of, <laughs> uh, I think is Claire's argument. And yeah, the Greens. I mean, yeah, it's... I think the the rhetoric being used during the ba- debate was also just a bit like, you know, I, I think everyone knows like so clearly what it, what it is like in terms of like the agriculture business is like such a big emitter of like, you know, carbon and yeah. and such a environmentally harmful industry at times. And it's it's just one of those things where like someone's got to take a hit here. Like you can't pretend yeah. like we can just like let it keep on going. Yeah, and I mean Claire was quite you know forward about that whenever she was speaking about you know the bill I think she clearly didn't like it she was she was there like saying like look we've got a bill that's actually going to do the right thing here let's not like go into halfway house of pretending like this bill is going to like get us to where we need to go it's just not Um, when it came to cross party support how how did this one fare up because it did pass to Committee stage, didn't it? I think so, yeah. So, but was was there any major objections or were people happy enough to see the committees go through both of these? And I think, because I think the current uh, model of thinking at the moment is that both bills will almost be conjoined into one freakish... Uh, <laughs> mishmash of... Mishmash a climate change bill. Horrifying mishmash um, of... Just you know, Edwin Sinclair's different ideology, yeah. ideologies for, for for this climate change bill. Um, yeah, I just I, I find I also find it weird that we're we're having two very similar bills going through the assembly, which is going to cause I think quite a bit of confusion between civil servants and also more headaches when it comes to drafting this. And I imagine so. Um, you know, we can't, we, you know, because obviously you can't make two laws that are exactly the same no. and have some differences and henceforth have like discrepancies. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it'll be, it'll be quite a confusion for lawmakers as well. Um, yeah. I mean, it looked like it was, it gained like generally unanimous support. And because uh, I, I think it was just one of those ones where they put it to a verbal yeah. vote and everyone just said, yeah. So oh, I assume most people said, yeah, enough that it was obvious that they didn't need to take an actual yeah vote like look at exactly who said yes or who said no i mean it's i mean we've let our opinion be known about it i i've certainly let my opinion be known about this kind of (laughs) you know bill it's just not like it's not realistic it's not it's it's just not a realistic like policy goal to to, no it's not that it's not i think it's too it's it's too like a it's too much of like a cynical take on like you know policy almost yeah saying like look we've got this like horrible thing that's gonna happen and we know it everyone at the stage in that house agrees the climate change the climate change like the dup aren't going around saying the climate change isn't real climate change isn't that's not what they're saying anymore (laughs) no yeah anymore 
what they're saying now is, um, yes, this horrible thing has happened. Yes, we are going to support every climate change bill that is, you know, not hurting, like, industry mm-hmm. in any way. But anytime we actually then have to make, like, a, you know, an actual bill that might have some kind of economic effect or might have, you know, some, you know, one of the arguments they were using about this, this climate change bill, I believe, was about, you know, oh, what about other countries are going to come in and undercut Northern Ireland? And I'm there, like, we're not, that's not, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not, like, the US, we're not the UK, we're not, yeah. we're not going to be undercut in the same way that these other countries, well, we're, depending on who, who you, he talked to her. Hmm. We're not England, is what I mean. Uh, we're not Eng- We're not in the English market. Yeah, yeah. Who like such like a massive, who like probably do actually have to some degree worry about like their shit market share in areas. Yeah. Well, if we were in one massive uh, union. Yeah. Um, such as a European Union, uh, those undercuts are not something to be as feared as much. But since yeah. uh, since the UK is obviously left there, it's we're more susceptible to global markets. Yeah. Um. It's, it's true, true, but it's a hard pill to swallow for, especially for great British markets. I think we're somewhat protected still, being yeah. somewhat of the single market. I mean, it does feel like we're we're already seeing like some. I think not to be again like we we were right because I think we actually when I during I did listen to our Brexit podcast and there were things I think we were wrong about. One of the things that I said in it was that we might see like the impact of not having enough foreign workers. Oh, <laughs> well said. So like I. Came through on that, but at least. What do you think we were wrong in then? What did I think we were wrong? I think we just like got some things wrong in terms of like what was going to happen in terms of like, you know, the border across the Irish Sea, stuff like that. Okay. I I just don't think we predicted some things, and I don't think we. Uh, <laughs> I think many did in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, exactly. It wasn't like what happened was the most predictable outcome. I think we were slightly more pessimistic on what the deal was going to look like, in terms of like whether it actually. Like how it was going to get done and how oh, swiftly okay. and how effectively it was going to get done. And then things like, you know, the grace period. You know, I, I don't know how... I think maybe our even our perception on how the EU would react to stuff maybe we weren't completely accurate on. But I mean, that's... it's Here, How many people are okay to admit yeah. their mistakes live and get on with it? I just want to highlight that I was right in this one area. <laughs> and then all the, all the other wrong stuff I don't think we need to look at. <laughs> you know? The boys get it wrong. <laughs> the boys get it wrong. But sometimes we get it right. And isn't that all that matters, really? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that all that matters, that 10%? Where uh, it's beyond that I'm going to start doing the, like correction articles like <laughs> here's the things we were wrong at we're sorry <laughs> yeah but if we do that then I want every single article where we're right just to be like we told you so <laughs> we got you and a lot of our uh, a lot of our party predictions have turned very true so I mean, we've done we've done well in the Northern Irish predictions at least yeah I'm very happy with that yeah I mean we have seen like the effects of Brexit are definitely coming through to some degree yeah not all of them are completely negative but I mean yeah some, there have been negative ones in there that are not very good. Look, I just want to quickly go back to the climate change yeah. bill and more specifically, um, uh, you know, the department's one, which yeah. is more lenient on farmers. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that the Ulster's Farmer Union, which is the largest largest trade body when it comes to re- representing farmers, are completely for the department's bill and very much against Claire's. Yeah. Uh, they're saying it could wipe out thousands of jobs and have such a negative impact across the industry. Um, and I, I obviously, regulation against your industry, that industry is nearly most of the time always going to fight back. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it, that's a shock in any way. 
but when you, we're so reliant on the farming industry for GDP and quite a lot of our economic exports, I think we should listen to their concerns on that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the committee stages are going to be very crucial for these bills. Um, and if you want, there is... If, if I, I, This is so niche, but if you are a business who really needs to know about this, um, I would recommend you reach out to some political firms here and uh, get coverage on those committees <laughs> or you sit down and watch them because all right mr <laughs> inside advertisement then inside the i'm podcast. not mentioning which one i work for okay, so right fine yeah. um, or even we need to do that service and start uh, exactly selling it to, <laughs> to the listeners pay us to do it then i may listen like but uh there was also the one that came the day there was a there was a climate related bill that was quite heavily climate related the day afterwards as well from uh, john o'dowd Sinn Féin, yeah. Sinn Féin, yeah, they brought forward one that was about uh, energy, talking about micro uh, generators in terms of people who like would be putting, I believe, energy back into the the into the grid, into the grid, and then also people who would be somewhat slightly more self reliant, but using like renewable energy um, for that. <laughs> I don't know why, but my mind just jumped the orange eye here. Is the idea of this bill that you would? get compensation for paying back into the grid or but no i believe it'd be more of a tariff system oh interesting okay uh is what i read um and looking at like putting more of an onus on like the bigger providers to, like try and get like i, I don't remember what the number was it was like maybe five percent of of their micro generators to be renewable or something like that or or you know whatever the okay and it's just uh, was this to like encourage people to get micro generators and I believe it was trying to just encourage like a a shift in general in the industry of you know to kind of encourage more usage of the or make it easier to or even sometimes maybe to make it harder to not be using you know renewables in that kind of area of micro generators no and like, like, like trying to make it more appealing and yeah that sort of thing. okay yeah. um it's not like every I know that because. NI is now scarred with like the RHI yeah. experience, but like it's not like every one of these. You know, you know, there are times where we can like try and promote like <laughs> an industry, and it's not going to be a bad thing. You hope. Do you know what I love most about the RHI scheme? Um, I had to read like the actual policy for one of my uni modules. Yeah, um, that must have been fun. It was. It was. It wasn't because we were specifically studying that, but we were told to go examine like a bit of environmental policy. Yeah. So I picked here for it. And if you compare RHI NI to RHI England, mm-hmm. it's literally exactly the same except for the price cap. Like they just removed that line. Yeah, no, I remember I remember hearing about yeah, that. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah. oh, it's just hilarious. Oh yeah, it was it, like that, that was scarred from the start. Yeah. Also, like <laughs> people knew, insiders knew what they were doing with that, you know. Then the same thing also nearly happened in one of the Justice Department's bills. I can't remember if it was like the domestic abuse one or, or something like that. Where they left out, they had to like at the very last minute put this like put like a couple more lines in, that would have prevented like you know like a billion pounds or something being spent on a bit of legislation. <laughs> that would have just, you know, it's it's just funny the way that you know, human error can lead to such yeah massive mistakes. Just a line or two just means that you're now, you've got a billion pounds less in the bank account. <laughs> yes. Oh fuck me, but yeah, um, climate change bill. And energy Climate bills. Change. It's all good. I'd love to see it. It's all good. Um, moving on to a scheme 
which is out and you can all apply for it. Like if you're probably knows about this. If you're lucky <laughs> enough, yeah. High Street Voucher Scheme finally out. Get your one hundred pounds. Four hundred thousand people, I think, in the first day applied. Yeah, I've got. I've, I've sent mine off and all. I was pretty I lucky. I was one of the first. I think to get the email and all. I was just lazy. I was just there. Like I just did. It's like the application will close for like a month. I'm not. I, yeah. I don't see the rush in it. No, if, if see if you haven't got it now by the time you're listening to this, don't be rushing. Like it's, yeah. it's fine. You have plenty of time. If you got so long, uh, the phone lines haven't even opened. You can you can apply by phone if you really want. I guess. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, was just yeah. We were just going to talk about like how busy it was. Obviously, yeah. it was expected. It's free money. Yeah. Or or uh, some libertarians I've read said it's just our tax money back in our pockets, yeah. and I was like, well, fair fair enough argument actually. But um, but I mean that's not the point of it though. It's not. That I don't think that really understand understands the spirit of this. No, this game is meant no. to be them. It's meant to be. It's not that it's, it's not that it's putting like new money into the system. It's that it's where they want it to go. Is mm-hmm. the point of it? Yep. You know, obviously, the fact that they want it to be going into a different area of the, you know, the market, and they've created a way that means that you cannot easily, put it into, this other area that they already has had enough money over the past you know year or two. Yeah. Just um, so it's yeah. We I don't were, really buy that argument. Uh, I I agree. I'm actually yeah. not. I'm far from a libertarian. <laughs> um, I do. When I was filling out the application, um, some questions came to my mind. You have to fill in like um, I think because you have to put in your national insurance number. So that I think yeah. the national insurance number you can get your age. Yeah. Um, you have to put in, you know, what uh, sex you were, and then you have to put in your driver's license as a form of identification. So I'm wondering. I want to assume that they'll be able to get all knowledge of where you spent this one hundred pounds. Yeah. So I think this is going to be some. There's going to be some really interesting statistical breakdowns of where did people actually spend this money. Yeah, there will be. And by what the males and females or others spend it on. Yeah. What age bracket spent it on what, and. I think obviously since it's going by the electoral area, like, uh, less because they can to your home address, which. What did each postcode or what area yeah. spend that money on? I mean, um, somebody's probably going to know whether it was effective or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think it'd be really interesting though, just to see like how people spend this one hundred pounds yeah, and have be. such so much data on it. I assume it's also going to be pu- public at some at some stage. I assume it will be public data data I mean, yeah, in I, some way. I would assume in the next year, year and a half. Nizra is going to have a fun time with it. Like, Ooh, we're going to have a fun time on it. I yeah. can't wait. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it does, it, it, I guess, if we're going to look at them politically in terms of, like, this is a thing that, so the DUP's name has been attached to, because it's been their department the whole time, this kind of thing's been going on, and now it's Gordon Lyons, who's kind of taken, you know, some of the spotlight for it, I mean, his picture, you know, holding it has been in a lot of places, um, and then the, the Department for Economy has had a lot of, you know, recent news recently in terms of, like, they seem to be getting quite a lot of, uh, Quite a lot of IT firms, quite a lot of like tech firms to be investing right now in Belfast. There's like a hundred jobs here, there's a hundred jobs there, you know, with like New York IT firms and like mm-hmm. there's one released today that was with like quite a notable name. ASOS? Yes. Yeah, hundred I think it's a hundred jobs with ASOS for Belfast was uh, announced today. Um I guess it's just a good time just to ask, like what well, what how do you think Lions Leon's is doing? Whatever, however you meant to say a second. Lions, Lions, okay. Um, it's funny when you, that you say the DUP's name attached to it. I genuinely don't 
think the DP ever really sold that it's their scheme. No, not really. Um, it's been put for more of like an executive thing. Yeah, which I, I, I find it interesting because I think when we think of ministers, everybody knows, obviously due to the pandemic, this is a very obvious one, but Robin Swan and the yeah. UUP, like I, like I think they've, that party has done the best. Oh yeah, they've done the yeah, When yeah. it comes to ministerial recognition of yeah. who they are. Sinn Féin's done pretty well in some areas. Yeah, Sinn Féin, obviously. Um, I don't know if Gordon has had the same recognition. Obviously, he's very, he's still very wet behind the ears with this job. Yeah. He's only been in it for about a month. Mm-hmm. Maybe, no, two months maybe now. I don't know time anymore. Something. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know if the public think of this, first and foremost, as a Gordon Lyons DUP scheme. Um, I don't think so. And I know why should they, but like I don't even know if it's second or third in their thoughts. No, I mean, I think which is a worrying yeah. thing for a party which needs the good press. First of all, it needs the good press, and second, if you're giving away f- free money, put that in quotation yeah. marks. <laughs> like, surely you would be the party being like, "Yeah, we're we're yeah, doing we're this. doing this. This is us." I've I've seen other parties spread more information about it more, and yeah, really get the detail out, which. Bit worrying <laughs> for the DUP. I mean, if you're if you if you care about the DUP, then I guess it is. Oh, obviously yes. But someone who doesn't, I don't get not. No, but I mean, I, I it does like make you really wonder like what's what's the kind of the, like process in terms of media for the DUP at this stage. Like what are, what are they doing that I, I are they just purely cause, like even like recently you know, Jeffrey Donaldson doing those speeches and you know kind of the the, the focus on like kind of. The how how do you put it? the stuff like the protocol and all this you know that that's kind of like what the kind of media focus is and I think that's clearly where they think that they're gonna win or lose seats. Mm-hmm. But then they've also got like these actual things that, like in Parliament or not in Parliament in Stormont that are you know relatively you know positive things that everyone can kind of like it's it's hard to like disagree with things like you know we were talking last week about you know the wasn't it the adoption bill. Um, not yeah. the not the adoption bill, autism bill, the autism bill that you know had, was being done by um which was being led by Pam Cameron. Yeah, you know now they've got like they well now not just now but you know they've had this you know mass involvement with the the high street voucher scheme. Mm-hmm. They've had you know the fog acid thing happen recently. Um, they've they've had things which like they could have been pushing in terms of like you know actually doing some good things but they just don't seem to be able to like actually focus on that it seems like the the one and only focus in their media is let's just push like this like ni protocol narrative and stuff yeah which is obviously obviously they think for their units of work that is the the uh, battleground yeah yeah but this this may come to bite me back in the ass and i'm okay being wrong on this yeah but I genuinely think his biggest mistake so far has not been taking up the first minister role. Oh, Jeffrey Donaldson? Yeah. Oh, right. And I think that's why you're also seeing a decline in the DUP. Do you want to explain? Yeah, my, my, my rationale is like the Colin Eastwood argument. You have, if, yeah. when you're in Westminster, you're out of mind, out of sight. Yeah. You know, and you're out of sight, out of mind, so I say. But yeah, he's, he's simply just not in Northern Ireland enough. And I, I think people get lost in that. Like when you think of the VP leadership, you obviously think Jeffrey, but when you see executive announcements and, you know, the first minister who historically has always been a party leader, not there, I think it creates this, this dissonance. Yeah. And it is strange having 
having to see like Paul Gibbon be there and think like, well, this is like effectively a lame duck. Um, yeah. To some degree, he's a he's a man without any kind of power, any kind of. It doesn't you don't really know what he is right now. Yeah. Whenever he's standing beside Michelle O'Neill, who's quite clearly you know the the leader of Sinn Fein yeah. in the North. Yeah, she she, I, I feel like symbolically now the first ministerial role has always been passed to her. It does and feel I, like that I, way to some degree. Yeah. I I know that both those roles are equal. I don't want people <laughs> yeah. screaming at me saying that she's less, but in terms of symbolically and the optics and all yeah. that, and you know when you have first in your yeah, name, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I think she, you know DP have already just handed it to Sinn Féin yeah. in that sense. No, she does uh, feel. Even, she feels though, like the first one yeah. there. Even though it makes no difference. Even though I know no, that. Yeah. Nobody come bite me. We all understand how the political system works here. Uh, we, all, yeah. we all get. Just, but like, just in terms of like the name, we all know. Like yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's the optics of it. Yeah, 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 you, yeah. you can, you can argue about that all day, but yeah, um, I just want to talk about um, possibly the last local issue. Of tonight's podcast really is kind of local didn't really affect us that much that's what I want to get into <laughs> okay. is the fuel shortage scandal which you might yeah. have seen in the news um, I feel like we should just explain this because uh, you know I've, I've, my mother messaged me being like um, <laughs> oh, really? are we going to have fuel shortages here it's like no we're fine yeah. um, just to let you guys know like the industry body that sort of does fuel here I've came out and said no Northern Ireland is fine we have loads in reserves we can get it out to all our petrol stations, uh, our courtyards. Don't be worrying. Unlike yeah. England, which just <laughs> does not have enough drivers right now, yeah. and people are having to drive about for ages to get any. The yeah. only sort of problem we're having in the north is as to have put a thirty pound limit spend on how much you can get. Oh really? Right. Yeah. The only the, the only supplier that is doing that right now. Okay. But no, we're fine. We have loads in reserves. Obviously, since we're still part of the single market, mm-hmm. um, we have supply feeling back and coming from down south and everything. So, yeah, uh, we're we're pretty grand when it comes to it. So I just thought I'd pass that on because it it was, it was reported by uh only the BBC, but it was like hidden halfway yeah. down the page. So I thought it was worth worth sharing with y'all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, we were we were talking recently about the EU kind of effect. Mm. I mean, that seems like quite a big, big one. Good positive in a lot of ways, being somewhat still in the single market. Yeah. Um, it's also, it's a lack of drivers. Yeah, that's that's what it is. And yeah. I mean, they did say that they were going to let in like what is it like ten thousand? It's not ten thousand. Is it one thousand? I can't remember what the number is. But they said they were going to give temporary visas out for for drivers. But I think what um, one of the one of the people related to it said is effectively that's like you know it's like a drop in the ocean that's. Yeah, it's like it's not like a it's not only short term. It's also in the current term. It's not enough to like realistically fix the issues that are existing in terms of like fuel shortage, which isn't even like it's not even like I think that that there's fuel shortage. I think the issue is there's enough fuel in fuel mismanagement. Fuel mismanagement, yeah. like where there's enough fuel in, you know the the areas. The issue is getting them from Delivered. where they're stored to you yeah. know where they're distributed. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's a distribution distribution. Distribution problem. Distribution problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, um, my dad. My dad was a driver for years. It's a. It's a tough job. But it's hard going. Yeah. Um. Pay drivers more. <laughs> I'll just say that, which they already have to try get yeah. people in. Um. I know they're 
planning to make HGV tests easier, which mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. Like, it takes a lot of skill to drive a lorry, a big rig. Like, not an easy, not an easy thing to do. I heard that they're going to take reversing out of the test. So if you see a, if you see a lorry driver, uh, maybe stay a bit away because they won't know how to reverse. Yeah. And if you can't reverse into a loading bay. You know, you're a bit screwed. It's a, <laughs> it's a bit of an art form to do it right. Okay. It looks like one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to be skilled enough to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really annoyed by uh, driver shortages right now because yeah. it's a tough job that should have been recognized years ago. But. but I mean, this has come along with like just shortages in general in terms of like employment. I, I can't remember what this, again, I'm blanking on the figures completely in some of these areas, but you know, the figures of like, you know, thousands of thousands needed in terms of like, you know, sales, staff. Um, yeah. What is it, like, teachers as well, like, or, or there's, like, a thing going around about, like, the great resignation or something like that in terms of, like, post-COVID, you know, people kind of just handing in their, their resignation saying, I don't want to, you know, work yeah. in this place anymore and going somewhere else to find work. And it all happening in this one big wave that it's, you know, it all seems... Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for why. I could have some theories why, but I, they're all just in my own head. I don't yeah. have any empirical evidence or anything. Yeah. Um, strange phenomenon to observe yeah. though it's, it's happening in America though as well it's not just happening no, in the, in the UK and Ireland places, yeah. like it's happening in the lower western world yeah they don't so, seem to be able to, places don't seem to be able to get jobs you mm-hmm. know people into, into jobs I mean you would assume one of them is the fact that you know the jobs we're talking about are generally just not well um, compensated yeah and like obviously as inflation for the years have went on and like as house prices and the cost of living have increased and yeah. wages have stagnated for years you know, people are just thinking, well, I should try other places or what, what's the point of doing this low-pay job? Yeah. Which, you know, for years as a society, we, we tell our children to go to education, get those white-collar jobs. Um, you know, when we're in uni, I hear, oh, we, like, I'm guilty of this too. You, you go work at, a quote-unquote, a shit job yeah. in fast food, retail, hospitality, you know, but if you keep calling them shit jobs... You have literally employed, or you've passed down the knowledge to a generation, two or three, yeah. that these jobs aren't worthwhile. You're only doing them for a quick buck. Or in sadly many cases, people assume the job they can get or they're desperate. Yeah. But when you have furlough and a great reset happening, it gives people the opportunity to look elsewhere and really yeah, give them time. It does. So, and it also gave people like time to be like, do I like the job I'm in right now? Yeah. Exactly. I, is this yeah is this the place that i want to be for however many years yeah and this and this is the problem we, we've called these jobs meaningless but in many ways they aren't they are and we're, we're paying for it now and you know i think one way is just to treat people better in those sort of jobs yeah. whether that be free better management training or yeah, at the end of the day just pay them more yeah i did recently read something about uh i, thought, I did find it felt slightly i don't know if i believe it in a hundred you know percent of the time but I mean that's not how what they, how these things work anyway. But the the idea was that you know you got like the boomer generation and the kind of millennial no no uh, the Gen X isn't that yeah the one of, yeah the, the one millennial. above yeah yeah so then you've got those two generations who then kind of raise the millennial and the Zoomer generation and there's kind of been like an idea of like you know like you you need to like improve from the circumstances that you came from to some degree like if yeah. you're you know middle class you at the very least need to like either remain in the middle class or like you know go up, a, go, class. Go up yeah. a class or like upper middle class or you know like don't you don't like want to drop drop ever. like there's no like if you you know 
and but the issue is like we've gone through like you know financial disaster you know financial disasters and we've gone through like mm-hmm. you know this this now as well pandemic and we've had like all these you know various other issues in terms of like you know was a time where like social mobility is just going down in general mm-hmm. but like yeah and just have like a bunch of people who are there like well i don't like have the option to like or like i don't have like the realistic opportunity right now to move up in a way that like was traditionally available yeah yeah um and that feels like it's maybe somewhat related in terms of like this you know this kind of like job shortages and all this kind of yeah that's not like stuff people don't want to work because there's less people on benefits yeah and everything and more people are in work than ever before yeah you know it's I, I, yeah, I feel like we've we've said enough on that, and it's, yeah. we've we've given our thoughts and opinions on it. Even it's though a, it's a lot, I said I wouldn't, but here we are. Um, look, we're we're. I think we'll end this podcast on a bit something a bit more international. Yeah, um, can do. Do 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 you want to talk about it first, and I'll, I'll weigh in my ideas. Yeah, I mean, I'll just do the general instead of going like really, really, you know, in depth into like you know all the little pieces of it mm-hmm. and all the little you know things that it set off. The, you know, there's been this whole thing now about the AUKUS being created. What is AUKUS? So it's A-U-K-U-S-U-S. So it's A-U-K-U-S. It splits up into A-U, which is Australia, uh-huh. U-K, which is U-K, and then U-S, which is the United States. And the idea being, obviously, that these are three Western, even though Australia is obviously not... But Western in the Western and, yeah. you know, cultural, I suppose, would be the way that they view it. It's kind of three, you know, culturally Western uh, nations uniting together to kind of just talk, you know, about, you know, very, the the general idea of it is that, you know, talk generally about, you know, strategic, you know, cooperation, how you're going to, like, help, help each other, how you're going to support each other, what kind of, you know, trade deals you can do. But then also, obviously, what's kind of come into place recently is the idea of keeping peace in the endo I can't remember what the how how they phrase the area. The Indo Chinese or something, you know, see and you know, kind of making sure that yeah these yeah. areas are you know the peace remains in these areas. Cold War sort of talk. Cold War definitely been escalating in in that kind of term, in those terms. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got this thing where, uh, the U.S. kind of butted in it in a, in a in a deal, of like nuclear submarines between Australia and France. To kind of say, you know, to it was definitely like somewhat a flex of power. It was also, you know, strengthening the relationship with Australia, yeah. um, and it made France a wee bit mad. But and then Boris Johnson tried to clean it up a wee bit, didn't do very well in cleaning it up. But <laughs> hey, that's that is what it is. Um, and it's kind of led to this kind of very obvious looking pact that looks very anti. Chinese at the moment. Yeah, it's it's definitely a classic international agreement of yeah. we need to put pressure on the West's biggest uh, competitor right yeah. now. Um, it's still I, I still think we're in a very multi pluralist international system right now. I'd say so. Um, I mean, the US is still clearly ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not a unipolar world like no. it was twenty years ago. No, but um. And the US I, does find it more difficult to influence, though, than it may be yeah, used to. Yeah, and I, I don't think it is bipolar. No. Um, I don't think no. China have risen to the heights of the Soviet Union. I mean, China, it's not even like China can, like, you know, go to India and say, do whatever. It's, they can't, you know, India's still got, you know, autonomy and, you know, yeah. 
Middle East is still got autonomy to some degree. Well, I mean, Middle East can be illegal. Yeah, China is Middle very, East is difficult. <laughs> you know? I think China is still very much strong within its own borders. It's, it's massively strong, and it, it's definitely growing in terms of like soft power, and it's definitely growing in terms of like gaining like some satellites and you know building up infrastructure in other places and investing in other places. Yeah, it's like you know massively investing in places like Africa and you know Balkans, the Balkans, and it's got major investment and you know pretty massive businesses all around the world yeah. like salt you know it's building into like turkmenistan and kazakhstan yeah all those sorts of agriculturally regions. yeah yeah so it's it is growing its influence but yeah. like i, I think know. it actually does have quite a bit of business with australia though as well i'm fairly certain yeah it does so which makes this deal even more interesting yeah of the, of, you know because obviously you know in a military aspect like australia very much aligns itself with the west it's yeah. um it's very much like Japan in that sense, like even though it is an Eastern nation, you know, it has the cultural and political systems of the West yeah. and the ideas of how you run a state. So it, it, it frames itself very neatly into the Western world. Yeah. Um, I guess. So, yeah. It's, it's just increasing Australia's strength, really, and on that border. Yeah. I mean, putting the pressure back on China with the backing of the UK and uh, America. The question is, I guess, going forward in terms of, like, if this does actually become, like, a proper Cold War, which I guess some would argue it already is, and some are going to argue, well, it's kind of only approaching that stage, if you look at, like, how drastic it, you know, would really need to get before you call it a proper Cold War. Yeah. You know, it's not like there's being, like, proper, you know, wars that have, you know, occurred yet that the U.S. and China have influenced to to back, yeah. you know, significant degrees that are, I mean, maybe some would say, you know, Middle East has seen some of that, but I mean, not, it's more mm. Russia, like I believe this, yeah, you know, being it's more Russia than anything else. in that area, yeah, so it's a, it's, it's whether, like, in this kind of Cold War, whether you can actually be non-aligned, because, like, the, one of the things about, you know, the previous Cold War is that some places wanted to be non-aligned, and then they quickly learned that you can't really mm. be non-aligned, there was no non-aligned at that stage yeah and if you did want to be non-aligned you're going to quickly be put into one of the areas whether you liked it or not do you think um, if we enter a true stage of a cold war with china we'll go back to a bipolar system I, I, like all the even though I, I even though i would say no the eu is its own superpower yeah um america obviously still has its own superpower yeah uh china is definitely one no, they're the only. I don't know. Would you would you would you not argue they're the only three main blocks left? And Russia's pretty, would you impressive? And they're not a superpower. Yeah, but what I'm what I'm saying is like, they I don't think <laughs> I don't think they necessarily look at China like their best buddy though. Yeah, I don't think they look at China like their their best buddy. I don't think India looks as looks at either. No, India definitely does. As they're you know you know I don't think they look at China or the U.S. with you know loving eyes. Mm. I don't think the Middle East is looking at anyone right now. For one thing, the Middle East has you know it's not enough you know internal fissures you know that yeah. that make it and you know they get supported by various you know different powers whether it be Russia or you know the U S or you know themselves are supporting you know mm-hmm. certain areas certain areas and parts and then you're talking about you know the E U whether the E U even like fully backs you know the U S or whether the the entirety of the U S yeah. Or no, the entirety of the EU backs all of the US's, you know, actions. Mm-hmm. Obviously it doesn't. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you can, like, easily move to a stage where, especially if we're talking about a Cold War, whether, or, you know, 
it's more so just like posturing and it becomes like, you know, investing in various areas. I don't know if like either of those places is able to truly create like a bipolar thing where both of them have like divided up half the world in some way. Yeah, it's, it wouldn't be as clear cut as what the Soviets and, yeah, no. and Europe and yeah. the US did. It was that because that was literally like the world was in some degree divided in, in half. <laughs> the Iron Curtain was that point as yeah. well, you know. And then you had, you know, you did have places switching between. Yeah. And you had some places that were less relevant than other places, but generally everywhere had like some degree of a, a bias. And if they didn't, as I said, they were forced to have a bias. Yeah. God, I love international politics. Yeah. <laughs> Probably my only, it's like my favorite realm of politics for NI. I mean, it's just interesting to talk about. Aye, brilliant. It's just fantastic. Yeah. You just get to talk about stuff and not have to deal with the consequences. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> okay, everybody, thank you again for listening to this week's. Uh, next week, we're going to start our party review, as we mentioned at the start of this episode. So we hope you'll enjoy that. Um, to give you a teaser... Next week's is going to be on the DUP, which is probably going to be the most radical episode in terms of what's occurred and changed. So lots to talk about there, and I think it'll be good fun. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.